0: Hey, um, give it up for our worship team for leading us so effectively uh, as we start off our night with some great worship. Thank them for, for what they do. They do a great job, and, uh, and I greatly appreciate it, And as I know all of you do. Um, let me be, I don't know, the, probably the like, 12th person at this point to welcome you uh, to CCF Dinner and a Message. Uh, glad you are here with us, whether you are joining us I'm going to trip over that. Um, Whether you are joining us uh, live and in person, checking us out on the live stream, or uh, you are listening to the podcast, whatever the case may be, uh, just glad you're here. Glad you are uh, spending some time with us. Uh, My name is Donnie Holliday. I am one of your staff members. Uh, It's a blessing to to get to say that and to be a part of this amazing staff team. Uh, And I am excited again on a Thursday night to uh, continue our theme of story time. If if you're new and you see the room painted, you're like, wow, this is cool. It is really cool. And we repaint it every single year uh, to go along with our theme. And And for this story time theme, we're using something called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, basically, for the last several years, I would use a story or two out of this. And then I was talking to some folks. I was just like, we should just do a whole theme of the Storybook Bible. Like, That's a good idea. Uh, but what the Storybook Bible does that's really interesting. It's kind of in their tagline here, Every Story Whispers His Name, which is painted over here. They do a really good job, the writers of the Jesus Story the Bible, as, as they tell the, the same stories that are in the Bible, they make it really obvious where Jesus is in the stories, even the stories Jesus isn't in. And what I mean by that is like the whole first semester, we stayed in stories that are in what's called the Old Testament, the part of the Bible before Jesus comes to earth. But the Jesus Storybook Bible does a great job of showing uh, Jesus in those stories. And, and they got that idea from, uh, from Jesus, as most good ideas do come from him, from uh, our theme verse of John 5:39, where Jesus says, The Scriptures point to me. Uh, this was Jesus uh, talking to uh, the religious elite of his day, uh, the people who actually had the entire Old Testament uh, memorized. Don't know how familiar you are with the Bible, but that's crazy. Uh, but they had the whole thing memorized, and he's like, Great! But you missed that all of it's pointing to me. So as we have been looking at these, at the Jesus story of the Bible, we're not looking at stories in the Bible. We're looking at the story of the Bible because the whole story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. And so that's what we've been seeing, and we're going to see it uh, even more tonight. Um, in a story that um, if you grew up going to church, you've probably heard a lot. If you didn't grow up going to church, you still might have heard uh, of this uh uh, of of this story. Uh, so excited for where we're going with that. I'm going to pray and then we will dive in. So uh, do what you do. God, thank you uh, for tonight. Uh, God, I just trust that you've brought uh, the folks here that you know need to be here in the room and, and the folks that are tuning on the live stream, the podcast. I, I just trust that you're doing what you know needs to get done. And I pray that you would continue doing that. I pray that you would say uh, what you want to say uh, through me. Don't let me say anything. Just get me out of the way, God. Um, so speak for me and hear for each of us uh, the message that you want us to hear, God. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, here at CCF, we are more than just Thursday nights. Yes, uh, dinner and a message is a really big deal, but we do more. Uh, for example, we do things. It's kind of one of the things we like to say. We do things. Uh, one of the things we do every October, something called the Costume Corn Maze. Um, if we dress up in, in costumes, head out to Washington Farms for a really fun night of corn maze and, and kettle corn and all sorts of goodness, and um, we're the only ones that dress up, so that's, that's really fun about it. Um, <laughs> and if you missed it, well, don't worry. Just stick around until October. It's coming again. Uh, my family actually had to miss this past, one, which we did not enjoy. I think I wasn't feeling good, which is probably the, probably the case. But most years, um, you know, we don't just enjoy costume corn maze, we love it. And yes, we dress up, and yes, we dress up as a group. So check it out. (laughs) Top left, first one ever, we started out as inside out characters. Um, Then we were like the Holiday Breakfast Club, not like the movie The Breakfast Club, but Breakfast Foods. we, after that, we were a s'more, just one, because it's all, all we have. We were Care Bears. That one was fun. We were crayons, and then the holiday family came as some holidays. One year, St. Patrick's Day, Easter, uh, Christmas, and Fourth of July. Um, <laughs> but uh, many of y'all have done this. It's fun. Dressing up. It's fun. It's 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 a it's a fun thing. And you know, I'm pretty partial. To, uh, as far as costumes go, I'm pretty partial to joy and sadness there. I mean, just stinking adorable, and disgust is absolutely gorgeous, too. So, um, but those are some of my favorite costumes, but, but, like, what about y'all? What are some, whether it was your costume, somebody else's costume, whether it was a costume corn maze or something else, my family's here, so keep it family-friendly, please. But, like, some of your favorite costumes that you see. <laughs> that was a good, that was a that was a good Photoshop. That's true. Yeah, it's in the green office if you want to see the picture of it. it is it's something. It is something. Mm, Yes. Did you have a friend go as Larry the Cucumber? No. Oh. Man, that's good stuff. Little VeggieTales characters there. Wow. Why, why do we like dressing up? Like, why is this something that, that we... Because, yeah, it's a Halloween thing, but... I mean, it's not just a Halloween thing. I mean, around here, we've got a banana costume that you can walk in, and I might be vacuuming one day in the banana costume. <laughs> I'm not making that up. That's happened. But, like, why do we like dressing up? Why is that a thing? We don't like being ourselves? We don't like being ourselves? You can become someone you're not. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I think, I think those are all good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little, um, a little Jesus juke, as I like to call it. I'm going to answer my question with a story, because that's what Jesus liked to do, was answer questions with stories. Um, and I'm going to answer both questions, a favorite costume, um, and why I think we like dressing up. Going back a long time to when I was working at the church I worked at, just down the road before I started working here at CCF, Uh, We had a a social theme party, whatever you want to call it. It was a high school stereotypes theme party. So everybody got to dress up as whatever high school stereotype they wanted to, not not what they were, but just whatever they wanted to. Um, And one student came dressed as a poser. Is that still a thing? The kid who's not really sure who they are, so every week they try something different? So, okay, fake. All right, but here's what she did this was spectacular. She arrived dressed as a skater kid. Then about 15 minutes later, she went to the bathroom and emerged dressed as a soccer player. (laughs) 15 minutes later, went to the bathroom, came back as a nerd. Every 15 minutes, went to the bathroom and came back as somebody completely different. So I feel like that costume goes along with kind of what y'all were saying with why we like to dress up. We can be somebody else. We don't have to be us. We can be somebody else. And I think this is especially appealing when we're not really sure who we are. Uh, You know, I think we've all been there before. Some of us, you might be there right now, not really sure who you are. But maybe you were there. You aren't now. You might be there a little bit later. I don't know. Just trying to figure out who you are is, it's a thing. Uh, So I think that will make tonight's talk um, really useful because we're going to look at a question that is, really, really important. It's also a question that can be super confusing. Uh, so my hope is that tonight will be helpful because I want to present a perspective through which to look at this question that makes the question less confusing. I don't think it makes the question easier, but I think it makes it less confusing, makes it less complicated. And if it's like, well, how did, wait, that's complicated. How does that even make sense? Well, it's possible that there be a thing that you know exactly what you're supposed to do, but you can't do it. It's, it's, it's not complicated. It's just super hard to do for whatever reason. Uh, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's not complicated. It's pretty hard. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, and just so you know, I am going to be looking down at my notes a whole lot more because uh, this is one of the very few times that I manuscript my talk. Because this is an idea for a talk that I think God gave me, I don't even know how long ago. Um, And I'm really, uh, really passionate about this. I think it's super important. And I know myself well enough to know that if I just do my regular outline, I'll just start ad-libbing all over the place. And the next thing you know, we're going to be late to winter retreat because I've talked for so long. (laughs) So you're welcome for doing a manuscript. Um, the question I want to make less complicated, though perhaps not easier tonight, is, who am I? Uh, now, if you're new, this is something I do every week. I pose a question, um, because I think questions stick better than statements, um, even really good statements. I think questions just, just stick better, so I like to leave us with a question to ponder. I always make it a first-person question, uh, because me asking you a question, um, just it's, it's not a bad start. Uh, but it's never going to be as impactful, uh, as powerful, as, honestly, I think potentially transformative, and as growth-inducing as you asking yourself a question. So that's the question we're going to come back to over and over again tonight. Who am I? Now, to be fair, who am I can be super confusing, and often what makes it confusing is it depends on who you ask. Because under the question, who am I, is, well, who do I say I am? Who do other people say I am? And I think we should be asking, who does Jesus say I am? So the multitude of voices is often what makes answering this and really any question I mean, so difficult. That's just the way questions and answers work. If I ask something and 20 of us answer at once, that's confusing. It, it's good to have multiple perspectives, but maybe not all at the same time. So as we look at this uh, who am I question, uh, we're going to look at a story where different people answer that question of who am I differently for one of the main characters in the story. Now, I say one of the main characters because Jesus is in the story, and it's hard for me to not make Jesus the main character of any story that he's in since every story whispers his name and Scripture points to him. But we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, and this is one of the main reasons I really like the Jesus story of the Bible, because if you grew up going to church, chances are we have heard about Zacchaeus. You might even remember that he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, no worries. That's cool. Um, I, I saw something recently that was like, imagine being Zacchaeus and doing what he did at the end of the story, which is fascinating, and being remembered for all of history as a wee little man. That's just like fantastic. Um, <laughs> but the reason I really like what the Jesus Storybook Bible does is because it offers a fresh take on stories that we've heard, um, many of us over and over again. If you haven't heard it before, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read it to you. You're you're gonna get caught up here uh really really quickly. It's easy to think it's just a children's story because we have a children's song that goes with it. Uh and that maybe it doesn't have anything to offer us if we're, if we're not children. But, y'all, nothing could be further from the truth. Whether you're 8 or 88 or wherever in between, this story has something to tell us. And the way the Jesus Storybook Bible presents it is uh, absolutely fascinating. Um, it really has something to say about this. So what I'm going to do as I read the story is it's kind of going to be a mashup of the Jesus Storybook Bible account and the biblical account, which is found in Luke 19. Uh, there's four books in the Bible that are about Jesus' time on Earth: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Luke's the only one that actually tells the story, which I find fascinating because it's a really cool story. Um, so I'm gonna, we're going to go back and forth between Jesus Storybook Bible and Luke 19. So the slides are going to go back and forth from Storybook Bible pages to scripture references. So here we go. There once was a man who didn't have any friends. None. Do you have any friends? Don't answer that. Uh, You do. Look around the room. Um, Well, of course you do, but not Zacchaeus. Poor Zacchaeus didn't have any. You're probably wondering why. Was it because he was so short? That's not a reason not to like someone. Was it because he had a name that was hard to say? Well, neither is that. Even though he was short and he did have a funny name, that wasn't it. Now, people didn't like Zacchaeus because he stole their money. Zacchaeus collected taxes. Now, taxes were the Or what people had to pay the king, or the IRS. Um, But Zacchaeus (laughs) took more than he was supposed to and kept the extra money for himself and made himself rich. So everyone knew what he was up to, and it made them cross and grumpy. They didn't like Zacchaeus one bit. So they made sure he knew it by doing things like avoiding him and walking on the opposite side of the street and pretending not to see him and whispering things like, there's that nobody who thinks he's somebody loud enough so he could hear it. Now Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And from the tree, Zacchaeus had the perfect view all the way down the road. Another minute and suddenly Jesus was at the tree He stopped and looked up. Zacchaeus saw Jesus, and Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Jesus said, I'd like to come over to your house. Zacchaeus almost fell out of the tree. Come over to his house? No one ever wanted to come anywhere near his house, let alone inside it. So he hurried and came down and received him, that's Jesus, joyfully. And when they, the crowd that's following Jesus... When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, i restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." So for a little bit, we're going to look at our "Who am, question, who I, who am I?" question uh, and make it about Zacchaeus. Now, what's really interesting about that "Who am I?" question is that neither the Jesus Storybook Bible nor the Luke nineteen account have Zacchaeus answering that question himself. Neither one of them have Jesus, Zacchaeus answering the question "Who I am? Who am I?" Just getting my birds whackers. Um, but other people have no problem answering the question, "Who is Zacchaeus? People in the Jesus story Bible call him that nobody who thinks he's a somebody. That's just fascinating. Um, in Luke 19:7, people call him a man who is a sinner. Now I didn't read it, but the Jesus storybook Bible parallel part of that calls Zacchaeus that big sinner." And the irony of calling Zacchaeus that big anything is just gold. That's just spectacular. Uh, Luke 19, 9, Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. Now, we hear that, and it probably doesn't mean uh, a ton to us, but as a tax collector who was born Jewish, Zacchaeus would have been disowned by his Jewish family, disowned by his Jewish friends. His entire Jewish community wanted nothing to do with him. So when Zacchaeus is called a son of Abraham by Jesus... And remember, Abraham's the father of the Jewish people. He's reinstating Zacchaeus back into his community. The Jesus Storybook Bible also has Jesus calling Zacchaeus my friend, which is a really big deal considering that the story of Zacchaeus in the Jesus Storybook Bible is called the man who didn't have any friends. None. And Jesus calls him his friend. But but we don't see Zacchaeus answering our question tonight. We don't see Zacchaeus answering, who am I? And I think that's on purpose. I think both Luke and the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, authors, compilers, whatever, want us to do with that. I think what they want us to do with that is to ask ourselves how we would answer that question. And how does encountering Jesus change the answer to that question? Because Zacchaeus clearly experienced a change. So how does an encounter with Jesus change how we answer the question regardless of of what other people think, and regardless, maybe even of what we ourselves might think. Anybody ever seen? We're all about children's books at CCF this year, apparently. Anybody ever seen this book? Heard of this book? Okay. <laughs> you should. It's fantastic. It's called Red, a crayon story. Anybody see a problem with it being called Red? And he's blue. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. I just want to start off with this. He was red. Lost my place. In a children's book. Yikes. But he wasn't very good at it. Right? So, this book, is, it's spectacular. And so what happens throughout the entire course of this book Okay, literally the entire course of this book is all the other crayons try to help him be red. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got some advice. Most of it's lousy. Crayons are a lot like people, apparently. Um, But everything changes, everything changes when red meets berry. A little over three years ago, I posted this pic on social media, Carrington, Carrington. Mine and Beth's youngest daughter, who's nine now, she was six at the time. She and I were reading this book, and she dropped this absolute truth bomb. If you can't read it, I'm going to read it to you. See, the berry crayon knows he can do it, because he looked at him, not his label. Hashtag wisdom for my six-year-old. Last week, I talked about how Jesus said the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. Stuff like that is why. Because that will preach, people. We, I mean, we can do a theme on that. Like, like She said that, and I was just like, like, oh my goodness, that is just. And now we could say, yeah, Barry's better than all the other crayons because he actually looked at Red, not just his label. I mean, how could all the other crayons do that to Red? But here's the thing that we shouldn't miss. Red did it to himself, too. Okay, now, yes, red was mislabeled. That's not on red. But how red deals with it is. Have you ever felt like you've been wrongly labeled? Well, what'd you do with that? What about when you were doing the mislabeling, either of somebody else or of yourself? I think, y'all, I think red is dealing with an issue that I believe is the biggest issue facing Christians right now. Y'all, I'm not one to say like the biggest and the greatest or whatever, but I really think, I really think this issue is the biggest thing facing Christians right now. Uh, oftentimes, uh, when I meet somebody new or somebody who I haven't talked to in a while, um, you know, and, and they you know, ask me about ministry and meet somebody new, and they're like, oh, you're a campus minister, I oftentimes get asked something like, so Donnie, what do you think the biggest issue facing uh, Christian college students is right now? And, and I used to say the stress of school because that's the thing. Um, and then for a long time, I said, uh, I said mental and emotional health stuff. Uh, but now I say, you know, I don't think it's just for college students. I think it's for all Christians. But I think the biggest issue facing Christians right now is misplaced identity. In other words, we don't know the answer to who am I? We don't know the answer to that question. Now maybe you hear me say the answer and you get a little concerned because you think, well, I mean, Donnie, I'm more than one thing. There's more than just one answer um, to that. I've got a lot of different things about me. We're we're gonna get to that. And and there's even a man named Paul who wrote a bunch of letters that we find uh, near the near the end of the Bible. And and Paul at one point said, uh, I become all things to all people. To the Jew, I become a Jew. To the non-Jew, I become a non-Jew. And so he. In different contexts, he could be described in different ways, but I don't think Paul ever changed his answer to who am I. Okay, I think maybe he adapted his methods to showing who he was. But I don't think he ever changed his answer to who am I. I mean, so But I, I see where we might be coming from with this idea of I'm more than one thing. Because we do, we feel like we're a bunch of things. But y'all, at the end of the day, who am I? I mean, really. Because the reality is that I have a lot of descriptors, but I've got one identity. And maybe you wonder, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between a descriptor and an identity? Well, I've heard identity defined as the one trait that underpins all the others. I've also heard identity described as the one trait through which we view all the others. Now... I want to be really clear with with something about this. When I say that many Christians are dealing with misplaced identity, I don't mean that I think many Christians are wrong about their identity. I don't think it's an issue of accuracy. I think it's an issue of consistency. And we're going to unpack that here for the next several minutes. So to help you see what I mean, here's a slide of a lot of my descriptors. Okay, that's a lot of things about me. That's not even all of it. Okay, let's be real. There could be a whole lot more. There's a lot going on right there. If you're wondering why some of them are crossed out, we're going to get back to those in a little bit. Let me unpack some of the, um, some of the, some of the um, abbreviations. Um, and just in case you're not sure, I am not the president of the Country Music Association. That would be really cool. But I'm the president of the Campus Ministry Association, which is nowhere near as glamorous, but still pretty cool. Um, this is ulcerative colitis which is just proof that the devil will mess with anything with you, including your colon. Um, let's see. Uh, my degree's up there, Bachelor of Science Education, Master of Education, MTS, Master of Theological Studies. And then the personality stuff up there at the top. I'm an Enneagram one. If DISC is your thing, I'm a CS. If you're all about the temperaments, I'm a blue melancholic. If Myers-Briggs is your thing, I'm an INFJ. So there you go. That's some of my descriptors, a little bit. Let me ask you a question, though. What stands out because it's not up there? Like, what were you expecting to see up there that you don't see? Okay, yeah. (laughs) That could be up there. Keep in mind what I do for a living. Yeah, you don't see Christian up there anywhere. There's no reference to Christian or Jesus or anything, which seems very odd. So frankly, this slide of all of these descriptors, and also notice that a lot of the descriptors are relationship-based, like yeah, a friend could have been there too. Um, but this slide honestly doesn't answer who am I uh, for me. For that, we need another slide. Now, I want to be very clear with this next slide. I'm not saying that because of this next slide, and I feel like it's more of a, it's a better representation. I'm not saying I'm perfect, because I'm not but I'm saying this next slide slide shows how I try to live my life. It shows how I decide day in and day out how to live. So, to borrow a line from the greatest showman, this is me. Now, the only thing that changed is Jesus' follower up top. Okay, everything else is the same. Okay, all the other ones uh, are are the exact same. And I want to and I, I guess this might be a little bit of a soapbox, but I think it's important. If you're wondering why I put Jesus follower or not Christian, it's because I don't know what the noun Christian means anymore. I just don't. The adjective Christian means like Christ. And I see so many folks who call themselves Christians acting in ways that aren't like Jesus. And I don't mean like occasional accidental slip-ups. I mean just deliberately choosing to ignore teachings of the Bible and purposely choosing to live in a way that's opposed to the way Jesus commands. I see that so much that the noun Christian, I don't even know what it means. Jesus follower just makes more sense to me. Okay? So that's why I put Jesus follower and not Christian. Again, all the same things. All of the white bullet points are descriptors. Okay? These are descriptors. Jesus follower is my identity, not because I'm perfect or anywhere close to it, but because I've decided that's my answer. To who am I? Earlier I said that I've heard identity described as the one trait through which we view all our others. Being a Jesus follower determines what kind of husband, what kind of father, what kind of pastor, what kind of all of those other things I am. And This is not in here, but God's telling me to tell it. So when I look around my house and realize I'm not being a good husband and I'm not being a good father. And then I start thinking, well, wait, how much have I prayed? How much time have I been spending with God? Every time. Every single time I realize, hmm, Drop the identity and it impacts all the descriptors. See, following Jesus, having Jesus follow be my identity impacts how I live out all of these descriptors. But if I try to get it backwards and I try to be one of these things first and like, Look at that through the lens of, look at Jesus follower through the lens of one of these things. It's not going to work. This is not going to make any sense. It's also going to, for the human relationships, elevate somebody to a place that's not fair to put them. Okay, that, that's, that's, the, that's another problem with when we elevate somebody to a place they can't handle. Not just because we screwed up, but because we're putting too much pressure on them. But having this Jesus follower identity is why some of those things are crossed out. Now, I am still a person who sins. I am not perfect, but I'm no longer a sinner because I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't like anywhere near as much stand-up comedy as I used to because I realized Jesus wouldn't laugh at a lot of the stuff I was laughing at. I'm not teaching middle and high schoolers anymore because Jesus said, Nope, you are done with that. And I'm no longer a New York Jets fan, not because they're terrible, but because a few seasons ago they treated a couple of their players absolutely terribly. They straight up lied to one about what his role would be, and they publicly blamed another for an injury that was not his fault. See, Jesus commanded we love our neighbors, and I just didn't want to continue supporting a team that went so far against that command. If I could have figured out how to have gotten more things on there where y'all could have read it, I would have done even more, and there would have been more stuff crossed out. Okay, but I couldn't really figure out how to do that. Now, earlier I said that I believe misplaced identity is the biggest issue facing Christians. That's how we got to this whole thing. And again, I want to say, I don't think that we have an inaccurate identity so much as we have an inconsistent identity. I think for many of us, the slide would actually look something like this. And if you notice, I put Christian right here. but left the top one blank. Left the identity blank. Because I think a lot of us like to play musical chairs with our identity. We pull from this descriptor bank and put something in the identity blank depending on the situation. We treat these descriptors like hats. Just take them off and put them on. We put on our student hat for some situations, but take it off and put on our Enneagram number for other situations. We put on our Christian hat for some situations, but we take it off and put it on our and put on our boyfriend-girlfriend hat in other situations. And here's a problem with this approach. If your identity is the one trait that underpins everything, then that makes it a foundation. And if there's a structure where its foundation is constantly being replaced, you know, pull that foundation out, swap it out for another one, that structure is gonna fall. Inevitably, it is going to crash even if the foundations are good things. Okay, even if those foundations are are good, you keep swapping stuff out, the structure can't stand. There's no stability in a structure that is constantly having its foundation changed, and there's no consistency in that approach to life. So when I claim Jesus follower as my identity and view all the other descriptors through the Jesus lens, then I know who I am. I've placed my identity in the one person who will never let me down. A lot of those descriptors are are related to other people. Rest assured that the one thing that all of the people in your life have in common is, they will let you down. Every single one of them is going to do it. But Jesus never will. See, that makes Him the firm foundation. Why in the world would we just lump in the one firm foundation that we have with all of these other not-firm foundations and just constantly keep switching them back and forth? And I think the reason is because sometimes we're a little more like the rich young ruler who is in Luke 18 than we are like Zacchaeus who's in Luke 19. Zacchaeus is described in Luke 19 too as a chief tax collector who was rich. That's what what Luke tells. He's a chief tax collector who's rich. But by the end of the story, what's he done with those riches? He's given away most of it. He starts off by giving half of what he has to people who are poor. And then everybody that he ripped off, he's going to pay it back four times. Think about how much that changed his hometown. I mean, think about how much that changed the balance of power and the wealth gap. He's given a lot of it away. But what's interesting is just, just a few paragraphs before, Jesus encounters another rich man. We read this in Luke 18. A ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Now when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But he heard these things. He became very sad for he was extremely rich. He became very sad for he was extremely rich. Please see the difference here. Zacchaeus was rich, but only treated that as a descriptor, not his identity. He viewed his riches through the lens of Jesus and that changed how he saw money. The rich young ruler on the other hand, viewed following Jesus through the lens of his riches. And so he was unwilling to leave those riches to follow Jesus. Um, earlier this summer, I read a book named, uh, called Subversive Witness by a man named uh, Dominic Dubois-Gilliard. He looks at a lot of well-known stories in the Bible and, and just comes at it from a very interesting perspective. And he had this to say about the rich young ruler. He, the rich young ruler, refused to follow Jesus partially due to his wealth, but also because his identity was so rooted in his social status and power. Following Jesus would have meant laying down his life as he knew it. It would have meant truly dying to himself so that Christ could rise to live in and through him. Following Jesus would have meant that the rich young ruler could no longer serve two masters. What I would say is he could no longer rotate between different descriptors to serve as his identity, his foundation. See, unlike Zacchaeus, the rich young ruler let what should have been one of his descriptors, rich, become his identity. He felt like he wouldn't be him if he wasn't rich. Now, before we're too hard on him and call him some capitalist pig or something, um, don't we all have some parts of us that we don't feel like we're us without? And we do. Okay, we all do. I I, I experience this um, for a week pretty much every April. Um uh, Lexi and Carrington spring break is usually in April. Beth works for the same school district that they go to, so she has spring break. And every April, they go on a trip with, um, with Beth's sisters and their kids. It's a really cool thing for Beth to hang out with her sisters and the cousins to get to to get to hang out. But y'all, for that week, I don't feel like fully me. I really don't. Because I, because I miss them. I sleep on the couch the whole week because I just have to um, eat a lot of Chick-fil-A. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So See, that's the thing about these these descriptors and what makes them so dangerous is to elevate them to our identity make idols of them because I've said this before and I'll keep saying it the most dangerous idols in your life aren't bad things the three most dangerous idols in my life are sitting on the back row the most dangerous idols in your life are good things but when you make them ultimate things that's the problem See, Jesus was trying to tell the rich young ruler, "You're more than your income." And I think he'd tell us the exact same thing because you are more than your income." And a lot of us are like, whew. Um, <laughs> but that's not all. You're more than your GPA. You're more than your major, you're more than your degree, you're more than your internships, you're more than your hometown, you're more than your Enneagram number, you're more than your human relationships, you're more than your diagnoses, physical or emotional. You're more than who you voted for, you're more than the worst thing you've ever done. You are more than any of your descriptors. If you want to be. And that's the rub. Because the rich young ruler didn't want to be. He decided, at least at that time, I really hope he rethought it and changed his mind, which we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, and decided to follow Jesus. I really hope he did. But he decided at that moment that that descriptor was who he was. And I know the example of riches, like, yeah, Rich, this is one thing, Donnie. He I hear you, this whole descriptor is an identity thing, but... I mean, some of my descriptors are really important to who I am. They are, like, central to my identity. And it's not like Jesus ever asked anybody that wanted to follow him to deny their very self. It's not like Jesus ever asked anybody that wanted to follow him to deny their very self. And in response to that, I would say you are correct. Jesus never asked anybody who wanted to follow him to deny their very self. He commanded everyone who wanted to follow him, to deny their very self. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mark 8, 34, and calling the crowd, not just the really close people, the crowd to him along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I can't get around that, y'all. I've always thought those verses were just like, I mean, just, bam. Bam. And it's so much worse now because I spent some time looking at what that word deny means. And this is going to blow your mind and maybe make us dislike those verses even more. Remember, the Bible's not written in English. Okay, it's written, the the second part's written primarily in Greek. And that word deny, oh, listen to what the word translated deny literally means to affirm that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and one's own interests, to disregard one's own interests or to prove false to oneself, to act entirely unlike oneself. That is why Jesus follows every single deny himself with take up his cross. Because in Jesus' day, the cross wasn't jewelry. It was an instrument of death. To start following Jesus was and still is to say that my life before Jesus is over. And I will now act entirely unlike that previous self. The rich young ruler wasn't willing to do it. Zacchaeus was. Am I? I think that's our question. I I think our answer to that comes back to our original question of who am I? which, to be fair, is a really big question. I get that. It's, it's very general. It's, it's kind of nebulous. And so it can be pretty overwhelming. Now, forever ago, it seems like when I started this, I said that tonight's talk would be useful because we're looking at a question that's really important. It's also a question that can be super confusing. So my hope is that tonight will be helpful because I want to present a perspective on this question that I think makes it less confusing. That perspective was this whole identity versus descriptors thing. But I realize that can be super confusing too. So to try to unconfuse it, I'm going to share with you all something that uh, our student intern, Brenton, and I were talking about one day um, last week. Um, I think we're all going to owe him a thank you because this is a whole lot easier question, less complicated question, not easier, less complicated question um, to try to to figure out. It's less overwhelming, but still super direct, uh, and in a way that hopefully will remind us of all the descriptor slides, because when we think about this question through that descriptor identity lens, the question really comes down to this, who am I, a Jesus follower who happens to be a fill-in-the-blank? Or a fill-in-the-blank who happens to be a Christian? See, the first thing is your identity. Who happens to be a is your descriptor, one of your descriptors. Now, honestly, the second option's kind of liberating. It's be whoever we want, whenever we want. But the problem with that is it's inconsistent. It's unstable. That approach to who am I will eventually fall apart. Even if the things we fill in the blank with are good things. And I, want, I, I know some of you don't know me very well, but I want you to trust me on that because I know not just because I've seen it in other, li- other people's lives, but because I've experienced it in mine. That second way may be freeing, but it's not. may look freeing, but it's not. The first option's a lot less complicated, a lot more consistent, and provides us with a much firmer foundation. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's a lot less complicated. Now, Maybe you're like, it's less complicated. It still seems pretty complicated to me, Don. you like, what am I supposed to do? Well, let's look at Zacchaeus again. He gave away a lot of money. Jesus never told him to. Don't miss that. Jesus never told Zacchaeus that he needed to give some money away. But Zacchaeus was able to look inside himself and honestly assess his life, and doing so led him to realize. He had misprioritized money. Now just real quick, money's not bad. A lot of people think the Bible says money's the root of all evil. The Bible never says that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? Important difference. Zacchaeus realized he had misprioritized money. And if you think about it, this whole misplaced identity is really all about misplaced priorities. Because we take those descriptors that, in many cases, are good things, and we make them more of a priority in our lives than following Jesus. We move them to a place they shouldn't be. We give them more worth, more value, more time. And maybe, you're like, well, I don't know that I'd say that. Well, maybe you wouldn't say it, but your credit card statement might. Your calendar might. Your screen time might where we spend our money says something about who we are, but man, so does where we spend our time, y'all. Last passage. Matthew 6, 21. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now that's the English Standard Version which is kind of my go-to, but this year I'm reading through the Bible. I'm reading through a translation called the Bible for Everyone, and it puts it this way. Show me where your treasure is, and I'll show you your heart. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Show me where your treasure is, and I'll show you your heart. And I really like this. Um, I like a couple things about it. This is important thing to know. The heart was something very different in Jesus' day than it is now. Okay? We think of the heart, we either think of, we either think of like a circulatory organ or we think of feelings and emotions. But in the day that this was written, and in the day that Jesus said this, the heart was the very center of who a person was. It was your identity. And second, the whole treasure thing, well, y'all, the most valuable treasure any of us have is time. I mean, think about it. You can't get it back. Anything else, if you lose it, you can maybe get it back or replace it, but not with time. When it's gone, it's gone. That's why we treasure it. That's why we guard it. That's why we protect it. So bear with me one more time, one more version of this verse. Now, this one's informal, unofficial, unpublished. It's the Holidays Revised Version. And it says this way, Show me where you spend your time, and I'll show you who you are. Maybe that's the real question. Maybe instead of who am I, the question really is, Where do I spend my time? Because that's quantifiable. I like numbers. I I like things to be able to be quantified. I mean, I can answer that down to the minute. And if I can't, my phone can. I mean, it really can. Where do I spend my time is honestly a less complicated way of asking, who am I? Because the answer to this will be revealed in where we spend our time. So if the who am I question is too overwhelming... Start with where do I spend my time? If we can honestly assess that, I mean, an honest assessment of where I spend my time can be a great way to begin to understand who I am. I am not saying it will be easy, but it's not complicated. I mean, it's not that complicated. Looking at how we spend our time, that's a way we can start figuring out who we really are. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all as we come to understand who we really are. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. You, man, you love us, God, when we can't even really love ourselves God a lot of our descriptors are blessings blessings from you they're good things but all of them combined aren't anywhere close to as good as Jesus so I pray that you would remind us of that. God, I pray that you would, God, just give us the courage to see where we spend our time, to really dare to see who we really are and to, and to challenge ourselves to look through all those ways that we would describe ourselves through the lens of following your Son, which will no doubt cause us to see those things, many of those things differently. I am thankful that you love us. I am thankful that wherever we are in our relationship with you, God, we are you are right there with us. God, I just pray for everybody in this room right now and for everybody watching the live stream, listening to the podcast. I just... I just know this is a lot. I just know it's a lot. But I also know that you love us. I know that you you are with us in our struggles. You are with us in the hard times. And I know that you will never let us down, God. So I pray that you would remind us of that so that we can lean on you and trust you. Trust you to be the most important thing in our lives, God. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.